Okay. Uh, well, uh, after making uh, several pictures, uh, uh, very big, uh, uh, large productions, that is, after I went freelancing, I was only interested and I made it my specific efforts never to make small pictures, only to make the, the largest picture at that particular time that I was out of producing. And uh, from, from the time of the uh, corporation, I went with the Arrow film, which was then uh, <coughs> uh, putting on a, a picture by Hall Kane, a masterpiece by Hall Kane, The Deemster, starring Derwent Hall Kane. That, that was, and uh, that was, that uh, Hall Kane himself was written up and given extensive um, advertising in all the New York papers, shouting it to the top what he was going to do, not only with the one with the Deemster, but with all other productions which he wrote. And therefore I went with the Arrow Film Company at a very fine little fat salary. And uh, that should, I shouldn't say that, should I? <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't make any difference. The money is all in <laughs> Las Vegas. Uh, well, and uh, after I stayed with uh, then there came again all these big, big shot farms. They make two or three big pictures and then they have a layoff and you don't know when to start again. So from there I went to uh, the Edward Warren production. He made a, he was a big producer. And the Warfare of the Flesh, and that was considered a very good big picture. They spent over half a million dollars on it. And from the Edward Warren I contacted uh, <coughs> uh, Frances Marion, a very lovely, wonderful woman, beautiful personality, lovely to be with, lovely to talk to. And uh, uh, Frances Marion saw the river's end, and she saw a few of the pictures I made, and she said, that's it. And, and I uh, contacted her, and she said, of course you can make it. I, I'm going to do a picture with Mary Pickford. Now, you come right along. I said, well, what about Charlie Rocher? She said, well, he isn't with her anymore. So, well, that, that's all right. I said, but he'll be with us when we shoot. That's all right. Uh, then Charlie Rocher and I, very friendly, we produced... Uh, several pictures for Mary Pickford, very beautifully done. <coughs> Charlie Rocher has some very wonderful uh, lighting effects. He's, he's ace high when it comes to camera work, none better. And then, uh, did I tell you about Marshall and England? Yes. Yes. Uh, you must have seen <coughs> the Daddy Longlegs in the Love Light with Mary Pickford, didn't you? Yeah. Daddy Longlegs in the Love Light with Mary Pickford with Malin Hamilton, uh, and uh, <coughs> we are, we are, I, I wish to say that in my entire life I never had such wonderful times as I did have with uh, Mary Pickford, and Martin Nealon, and Charlie Rocher in uh, working with those three, especially being very close to them. They were lovely personalities. And uh, here's, an, here's a picture of the studio taking a scene in the Edison studio in 1912, Edwin S. Porter directing. Look at the size of that studio. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. <coughs> now, what have we got here? Here, this is my album that we're looking at. 
my portfolio, God Save the Queen. <laughs> well, here we have our, uh, a patent which was granted to me by Thomas Edison because it was good. But this patent became outmoded when Eastman uh, came in with their X-Pac film. This is a patent on a thermostat contraption, very beautifully made, on location, worked immediately while we we're up in the, in the three below zero in Canada shooting movies. I built this thing overnight, over in two days I built this. It's a copper, two copper boxes insulated like a thermostat with a, a two inch felt cushion surrounded with a little alcohol lamp heating the heating the empty unit and having the camera surrounded by hot air the steam of which would go out on the top of this contraption through uh, three holes and this thing worked and it was built at once on location the idea was gotten up not six months preparation but it was made at once and and that, and uh, it was considered very, very good by Thomas Edison. I have a <coughs> letter here. Yours, uh, we enclosed, uh, ex uh, designed and executed is at hand. I enclose herewith a copy of the license granted by you to Thomas A. Edison Incorporated. If you will advise me promptly as to your wishes with respect to the matter of inserting additional broader claims in your application, to which I referred in my letter of the I will be able to file the amendment in such application in a few days. William Hardy, that is the attorney for the legal department in Edison. Yeah. And this patent, this patent was my patent, granted to me by Edison, paid for by Edison, and me signing over the right to them to use it. Uh -huh. Now, if if Eastman hadn't have come out with his X-Pac, I could have made quite a fortune with this particular patent because it was good, and it is good today. And if you cannot get X-Pac today, this would be the only means by which you could make make a motion picture and run it to the camera without getting uh, static. Mm -hmm. If you couldn't get X-Pac today, that's what you would have to do. Because this, this was examined and okayed and looked at by not only the Edison technicians, but uh, other technicians like in the Pasadena Caltech, and they okayed it mm -hmm. as sensible and perfect, and I'm very proud of it. You mentioned uh, Canada there, and that reminds me that I forgot to ask you to put down about the Canadian deal with uh, Edison. <coughs> hey, would you put that on? Tell us about that, Mr. Kronjager. Well, uh, <coughs> there came a time when there was a, we had a law Again, in the <clears throat> while I was working at the Edison Company, we, we that wasn't a layoff. We were all kept on salary, but we had nothing to do, and we had to play around. When, and the studio was kind of closed. There wasn't anything to do in the studio. And, and Edwin Porter went on a vacation or sometimes. Yeah, he would take a vacation mm -hmm. for a month or so. He'd go fishing. Well, at that time, then ideas went to my head, and I saw other people making advertising films. And then one night an idea struck me, why not me take a trip to the Canadian railroad and propose to them that I would uh, shoot a lot of movies for them free 
in return if they would give us transportation for either our company or any company that I could, could collect with. I didn't have to necessarily collect with the Edison Company. I could have gone to any company. So what did I do? I went to Canada to pay my own train fare, <coughs> negotiated for a deal with the vice president, uh, uh, we have to cut it off, man. Mr. Connery, Grand Central Pacific, in care of me and down the center reaching the center, vice the center shoe line. In care of Mr. Honey, vice president of this. Um, Is that running? That's all right. I'll, I'll just edit this. Don't worry about it. I'm trying to look... Uh, C. Oh, C. P. Dennis. Now, uh, then I, I made negotiations to uh, enter the offices of C. P. Dennis, a vice president of the Canadian Pacific Railroad. This gentleman, Mr. C. P. Dennis, was formerly the engineer who laid out or who outlaid and surveyed by foot the entire 3,000 miles from Montreal to British Columbia, Victoria. Mm -hmm. C.P. Dennis, a former civil engineer and surveyor, and he laid out the line. And it was him who made this deal with, with me, with the Edison Company through me, he made the deal with me. I said to him, all I said to Mr. C.P. Dennis, I said, Mr. Dennis, how would you like it? I first of all showed him all my recommendations, letters, movies, and he became immediately interested looking at so many beautiful movies. Well, I even ran a reel for him, a scenic reel, which I happened to take from uh, Cuba. <coughs> he immediately became interested when I told him that I could negotiate for a deal between the railroad company and some company that I would find, possibly the Edison Company. Oh, he said, when he heard the name Edison, he said, we know the Edison Company. We negotiated with them for some other little things, but not for what you suggest. Well, let me suggest this. Let, I wanted to make myself a six-month job. That's all I was interested in, which I thank God for the help. You know, if you whatever you want to accomplish in this life, believe me, you take God with you on your right hand and, and hold tight, and you'll get, you'll have very good success. Um, so, uh, he, uh, Mr. Dennis says that would be wonderful. Uh, do you think you were? Uh, I said, now let me come in again and see you tomorrow, and I will write out in a letter, because I know you're a very busy man. You have three people outside waiting. I said, let me go home right now and cut it off here short, and I will uh, 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 write a letter, which your girl can do. said, my girl can dictate it and typewriter so I can read it quicker. 
I will bring you a letter and you will see the whole situation. And the letter will be consistent of this. You will give us transportation, uh, about 20 people, food, lodging, and shelter, on the train or off the train, in the hotels or out of the hotels, complete uh, transportation. And uh, we will give you in return all the movies you want, not exceeding 20 reels, because you could take it say forever. No. Not exceeding 20 reels, because I think 20 reels should cover all of Canada. He said, you bring that letter tomorrow. You bring that letter tomorrow, and I was tipped. He said, what time is your office open? He said, I'm here at 8 o'clock. I got to be. It's dispatches come in to contact me for different things, and I have to be here. But I take my three hours sleep in the afternoon, but I have to be here. So I was there at 8 o'clock that morning, and he uh, read half my letter, and he said, you wait here 15 minutes, and we'll, the girl will bring the letter in. And he read it, and he signed it, and he says, you go on. And I went back to Edison, and there, there we were. Three weeks later, we left. We were on the way to Canada. This was in the in the early spring, and when the spring was in full swing in May, we went. We were already in Canada in the High Sierras. <coughs> we began in Montreal. We our first stop was Winnipeg, and during the during these twenty weeks, is here is what we did. We took along Mr. C.P. Dennis. He had his own private car with his stenographer and a dispatcher, a special dispatcher for to dispatch this train mm -hmm. to, to waylaid on it's a very difficult thing to take an entirely new proposition and road and waylay it on account of the running trains on the, on the, on the line. And uh, he uh, and uh, I had a photographic car, which the, which is the owned by the Canadian Railroad, with uh, five or ten thousand tanks of running water in it. And we had a regular photographic car. Incidentally, the Canadian Pacific have their own photographer, and he came along. He used to shoot eight or ten cameras of everything we shot in the movies. Mm -hmm. He made all the stills, and I made all the movies. And the, the uh, director. Uh, Saul Dolly, I think, was the man that went on that trip. Mm -hmm. And Saul Dolly wrote the productions on tour with the suggestion of Mr. Dennis, telling him, this is gold, we're coming to in two days, we'll stop off in the little town of gold. And he'd tell him the history of gold, and we would produce a movie in that town, and the story would be written <laughs> overnight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and always one railers. Yeah. And now what would these stories consist of? Mainly beautiful Canadian scenery, the rivers, the lakes, the mountains, the hotels, the cities, the life in general, the rural life, pigs, cows, and all the animals. Wonderful. It was quite an experience in my whole life. No one can ever get such an education in school. And. Um, and acting, and each, each picture would consist of a sprinkled with drama and comedy, sprinkled with drama, no comedies, they were all scenic and drama, scenic yeah. and drama, and Dolly was good at that. And uh, he would bring along with him 50 stories for suggestion, but he would write his own. When he'd come to a town, he'd, he, he and I would look over locations, and he'd come back and he'd write a story on the way back sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
um, to do an art we project. went all the way and uh, and and uh, this was the happiest moment of my life is <laughs> to be able to do that. It shows what you can do when you want to, when you get an idea which fits in with things in life. Yeah. But all your ideas that we have or get that come into your mind are no good unless they fit in to a specific element in life which is the co-unit of your idea which will make it work. Mm -hmm. You see the idea, my idea of photographing all of Canada in movies was good and made a hit with them. It was good with us because we could sell our movies with putting on our drama. So that was a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> that could be done today. Sure. Yeah, right. you you could pull off a deal like that yourself. Where did you get your actors for these? Did you the actors any? are all Edison actors. They and were. we took along about 20. Yeah. And there was no actors we hired. All these actors played in the same parts. Say and it becomes uh, quite easy for a director to handle the same actors and the same uh, yeah. and the the dialogue wasn't so necessary as it is today. Your English pronunciation wouldn't make any difference at that time as long as your emotions were good. Mm -hmm. It was the motion of the hand, the look of the eye, and to shrug of the shoulders and the dominance of your personality that would, would count yeah. in those days. Today it's diction. Most of the credit of successful pictures today should be given to the writers, not the photographer, not the director, some, yeah, some to the director, it's the way you handle it, but the writer, the diction, the titles, the, what you say and how you say it, that's, that's the story. That's to me, that's, I give all the credit to the writers. But most of the credit goes to what? To the director. Yeah, it's all right, he makes good pictures, yeah, but let him write the dialogue. Let him write the dialogue. I wish you'd speak a little bit, uh, Mr. Kronjager, about some of the directors that you worked with in the 1920s. You made uh, Tolliver David in around 1921. <coughs> no, and uh, then uh, from uh, from this Canadian trip, then I went back and I <coughs> went back to uh, went back to to Paramount Studio. This is it. Uh, well, I took you from way the back. Wall, from the uh, <coughs> I took you way out of order by taking you back to Edison, but you had gotten uh, nearly up to 1920. You're uh, working with Mary Pickford. Uh, uh, well, I, I I worked at that's uh, before that I and worked at, yeah. I worked at, at Paramount Studio Long Island. Yeah. And uh, how did I come to get in there? I came to, uh, then I uh, negotiated with Paramount Studios in Long Island by suggesting uh, Mr. Porter's name, or I think he suggested it. And knowing Adolf Zucker in the Times building, uh, I went to Mr. Zucker and uh, uh, told him, uh, I'm sorry I didn't take up, oh, uh, he offered me a, a proposition that he offered Edwin Porter and uh, years ago, but Porter had gone, and I came to Paramount after Porter had gone. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Who did you work with at Paramount then? At, at Paramount Studio, I was, uh, uh, w uh, was uh, very lucky to uh, be associated with Alfred 
Alfred E. Green, he was a very good director at that time at Belmont, <coughs> uh, directing such pictures as Thomas, uh, Thomas Meehan, uh, Back Home and Broke, and uh, at, uh, oh, many others that I have to look up in. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I'll get the title. Thomas Meehan and... Um, Lila Lee, did you work with her? Lila Lee, and I made a, a, a picture with uh, Irvin Willett in Paramount Studios, uh, uh, made a picture made in Cuba. Was uh, that uh, Fogbound with Dorothy Dalton? That was Fogbound, that was done with Marshall Neal. We did most of the fog scenes in the studio, in the basement, using smoke. And in particular, the scenes were beautiful because we used the uh, a lens which Mr. Willett had specially made for this occasion, which was a, a single, uh, which is of his own concoction, a single element, a tiny little lens, not more than a quarter of an inch in diameter, a single lens, and that was, and, uh, and it was, it made a sort of foggy, uh, uh, pictures and the pictures were really beautiful, mm -hmm. really representation of fog on yeah. the counterweights using the single element wide open. Now when you stop this single element lens way down, you get a clear sharp picture, sharp cut as any other lens. Mm -hmm. But that would require different exposure. Um, I stayed at Paramount about seven years, making money, uh, helping and helping the studio, I wish to say this, helping the studio out of many, many difficult, costly, mm -hmm. immensely costly problems. Mm -hmm. For instance, there was a problem, <coughs> one cameraman, who is a very high-class cameraman, had shot uh, scenes of uh, Monsieur Bouquet in a Valentino with a large cast the uh, the gardens of the how do you say those French gardens Versailles in Versailles yeah. the Tuileries Tuileries uh, Tuileries yes, yes. yes. the French gardens in Versailles were reproduced and they, and they took up the entire studio from one length of the studio to the other which must have been uh, oh half a block our studio Paramount studio is about uh, a block long and a block wide almost quite a block. Well, anyway, uh, and this, uh, the, the difficulty, the difficult proposition was is to be able to get enough lights to light this because all the foliage was green. The entire set was a mass of green lawns, green grass, tall, beautiful, tall, green Italian cedar trees reaching into the sky. Um, We're talking about the, 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 yeah, the green gardens and the Monsieur Yeah, you're on now. Uh, uh, tall, beautiful Italian cedars and large uh, elms and oh, oaks, English oaks. The whole studio was a mass of dark green. Now, the question was, they did photograph. The cameraman looked at that and, and I can't, I don't like to mention any names there because uh, <coughs> The cameraman looked at that and they got all the lights that were available in New York City. Oh, must have been about over two, uh, maybe a hundred or 150, I have to roughly guess, 
all the lights that we could get out of New York from all the studios to rental for three days to light these green trees. So then all right, they, the production manager said, well, are you satisfied? We can't get any more. That's all we can get. Well, the cameraman said, we'll have to do the best we can. We start shooting. We shoot all right. Now they had a, they had, they also had a horror schedule and they had a large cast and the cast was prohibitive at cost, very expensive cast. Costumes weighed $500 each and running into $1,200. And um, they, should, they shot two, one day, two days. They shot two days and they developed. And then the rushes came in. And while they were, sh uh, they, they looked at two days rushes and you never, I wasn't in the projecting room, but the projecting man, Jimmy, told me, he says, you should never saw such a disgusted and disconsolate looking, discouraged looking producers and managers and cameramen. They were whipped. They didn't have a thing. Nothing. The clothes, they, now they, in, in the, but now what was wrong? The, the thing was wrong. The green, all these greens, and the set and the distance from the camera and everything being so large and wide, uh, wide, the greens, the dark greens, absorbed 100% of the light that was thrown into that set. Mm -hmm. And whatever hit the costumes, it just must have burned them up. So what happened? The set was, there was no time, just barely any time on the set, some, most of the most of the set in the back was black as coal, and the figures in the white, beautiful white silk lace gowns that were all burnt, burnt, so that you just had a silhouette of white figures against the black velvet drop, and that was the situation in that room. So they were all white, and I just happened to hear of it. And I saw the set while they were shooting. And I had shot some scenes at Tannhauser's where we had a similar, uh, similar thing. And the painters in Tannhauser's happened to know that uh, green sets, uh, dark subject, dark objects uh, have to be sprayed, which we used to do outdoors, uh, especially at night. And we did it mainly on night photography. And now why they didn't think of that before they shot those scenes? Well, anyway. The only thing that I did, helping the studio out, it, it just struck me like a bowl of lightning because I became as much deeply excited and interested knowing that that, that cost must have cost $100,000, dollars $100, that two days work. I thought of my tannoises set, my little set in tannoises with the green trees uh, in the Italian cedars which we sprayed one side light uh, grading off into highlight to create a sun effect. I remember that and that's what I thought of. And so I said, well, if it'll work there, it'll surely work here. So I said, I went into Mr. Edwin, Edwin King's office, uh, the manager there, big, tall, wonderful looking fellow. And uh, Edwin C. King, my manager of Paramount Studios. And I went into his office and the girl said to me, said, you can't see Mr. King now. I said, I can see Mr. King right now. And I walked to the girl and I said, sit down, I'll get you an hour and soda while I'm in there. 
And I walked in to Mr. King. I said, I have an idea, and I think you can save the whole, all that set there. We don't have to strike it or do anything. They were going to build a set outdoors, take it all outside by different cameramen's suggestions. Rebuild it. I said, no, leave it where it is. Now, what do you want us to do? I said, uh, I here's what you do, and I know, and I'll bet you $100 if you want to put up the money. I'll bet you $100 if you do what I tell you, you'll photograph that set beautifully. So I said, well, what is it, Henry? And he looked at me in a whimsical, whimsical way, so if I just was hot-headed, I said, now then, here's what you do. You get your painting department, let them come in here in front of you, and I'll talk with them in front of you, the painter. And uh, <clears throat> and we had, uh, and I said, if you don't believe what I say, you contact the painter in the para in the in the uh, studio, in the town of the studio, Jimmy, and he can tell you. And so they did contact him. Jimmy said, yeah, we painted that light and color. We had we had them painted, uh, we had sunlight painted on them. So they were photographed last time, and it worked out fine. So uh, he called in uh, a few painters in the office, and then we uh, argued the whole thing out, how much it would cost and how long it would take to re-spray that entire set and the trees should be sprayed lighter on one side, rounding off to the other, from a gray into a little lighter than gray, and otherwise spot them like highlight spotted, and that's a trick. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he, uh, Mr. <coughs> King had a consultation with the painting department, and that's what they did, and they saved the whole wax. Wonderful! <laughs> and I never, <laughs> I thought right then, here's where I ought to get. <laughs> Well, I got a kick out of it, that's enough. Did you do any other jobs on Valentino pictures at that time? Now, you know, what, what, I, what I wish to say about this is all these ideas, they have to come at a moment's notice and it has to be, it has to fit the situation that has to work. Yeah. Just give an idea and then try it out and then it don't work, that isn't any good. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what pleased me because it worked, because it, it would work. And they they used half the lights. Oh, they couldn't use all the lights. They sent all the half the lights back. They used the ordinary lighting because they really had to be careful they didn't burn up the highlights out of there. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. And that was Monsieur Bouquet. Yeah. And now then, after that, I have noticed that all the uh, set builders in all the studios including California, made it a special issue. I don't know where they got the orders from. All large sets to be on the light side. Never build a dark black set. Never. Unless you want it to go black and have nothing on the film. Yeah. 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 The larger the set, the lighter it may be. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any other troubleshooting that you did? Oh. Now then, <coughs> there was another situation while I was at Paramount. This is very, uh, very makes me feel wonderful to know to reminisce on this. And there was a situation in Florida. Also, another cameraman, very good cameraman. He's working today, getting maybe thousand dollars a week. Oh, God bless him. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, cameraman went to, with Wesley Ruckles down uh, to Florida. <clears throat> to shoot another big picture. Uh, oh, they had over 100 extras there, all beautiful costumes, taken out on a flagless estate, 
which consists of a palm grove of 500 to 1,000 royal palm trees, uh, 50 feet high with large leaves, those great big long leaves, and the entire, and, and so they shot scenes in this palm grove, under this palm grove, without lights, hoping that there would be enough light filtering in through the trees that would, would do. Well, there wasn't enough light filtering through, but shooting all these uh, long shot scenes, the same situation prevailed. The greens in the foliage all went black because it wasn't lit up. And the highlights where the people walked were burnt up. And two days, they had three days' work. Oh, about 6,000 feet of film was run in the Paramount Studio projecting room. And I was in the studio and I saw some of the stuff and I said, my goodness, that's, it. They, that's all under time stuff. Well, they, they, they did not use one foot of that film. Three days shooting. I'm citing this to see what producers are up against when they don't know when they get uh, when they don't have uh, 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 the crew capital enough. I won't say cameraman or director. I'll say the whole crew. When the crew is not capital enough, <laughs> because uh, when a crew is working, there is over 500 ideas, and they all look and see. Well. <clears throat> What happened? Uh, then King again called me into the office, Henry, I want you to look at uh, six reels of stuff. So King and I, at 8 o'clock at night, we looked at six reels of hopelessly undertimed stuff that could not be done anything with it all. They asked the documenter intensified, and he says it'll be worse. <laughs> so here's where Eastman comes in. Another 20,000 feet goes into the Eastman box. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I want to thank Eastman right here and there now and, uh, and all the other filmmakers for making a lovely, wonderful film for which we can so absolutely depend on. When we go out today, we can surely depend on the film. If you slip up, it's not the film, remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, uh, after we ran the four reels, and then I said, well, uh, all under time, under time. That, that means that's three tick. Can't do anything with it. All right, that's three tick. Now what do we do? <coughs> they says, have you got an idea? I said, sure, I got an idea. I said, I can tell you right away before I even go down and look at the location. I said, well, what would you do? I said, well, now, in order for me not to start for you any negotiations, with your director, I, uh, let me say nothing. You let me go down there. I was in between pictures, but I was on salary. I was two weeks off on salary. Uh, let me, I was shooting a picture with Alfred Green, with Thomas Mayne in two weeks. So I had two weeks to go down there. And uh, King said, if you stop the, I'll stop the situation when I go down there. And I can't give you an answer now. I can give you an answer, but it may be here while yeah. I'll let me go down. He said, get on the train. There wasn't any planes then, but I got on the fast train, arrived in Florida, and we looked at the location, <clears throat> and I said, all right, here's what you have to do. At once, no waiting for anything to come to my mind. At once, I said, here's what we do. We take all these scenes out in the sunlight, all these beautiful lawns here, or right out in the open hot sun, and shoot it in the early morning sun, and not during the day when the sun is high, 
Shoot early in the morning, when the sun is low and from the side, and late in the afternoon, from uh, from from 10.30, uh, shoot up to 10.30 in the morning, and only after two or three in the afternoon. And then use these palm trees, use that grove as the background. It shows just the same. And uh, with the addition of a few sunlight arcs to, that you can, of course, we can't spray these trees. That's impossible. You want to get a few sunlight arcs to light, light up a few of these trees, you can do that. So they got, we got a couple of sunlight arcs and lit up some of the underneath green foliage, and we shot out in the open day. And then uh, I, when I, when, when Mr. Ruggles, the director, phoned E.C. King that Henry solved the problem, and he wants me to pull all the actors out in the open, and I want them under the tree, and they, Mr. King said, you better do or else come home. If you want to do what Henry says, if you don't want to, come on home, we'll forget the whole thing. We'll build it in the studio. So he said, no, I like that he wanted to stay there for a vacation. Mr. He, he loved it down there. He wanted to spend the four weeks, the three weeks down there, which was pretty, uh, very good. That has to be cut out, I guess. Well, um, <laughs> Sorry. so then uh, Mr. King uh, told me to stay there and start shooting. So I stayed there and we shot one day's work and we sent that up by train, develop it. And the wire came back beautiful. Keep shooting, doing the way you are is wonderful. We we uh, and then after that I stayed there two days longer, and the cameraman, the other cameraman, finished the production, because I was starting with Richard uh, with uh, Alfred Green with back home in Bulk with Thomas Mann. Boy, that was an experience. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm going to take you back a little bit now to 1921, and, uh, or 1920, was it, and tell us a little about working on uh, Tolerable David. Oh, Thank you. <clears throat> then there uh, came another lull off, and I read in the papers, <clears throat> uh, dual, Howard H. Dual, Dual, a producer, a new producer, a, uh, a Wall Street uh, man uh, was entering the production field with Richard Bartlemus, uh, his first production to be River's End. Or Tolliver David. No, Tolliver David. Yeah. And I contacted Mr. King at the hotel and showed him my things. He says, yes, Henry, I know all about you. He says, uh, when I asked Mr. Dole, and I said, well, Mr. Dole is the one that sent me to you. Yeah, but I still want to talk to him. I said, okay, tomorrow. And, I, and Henry King called me, his job is yours, come on. And that was the beginning of Tolliver David. We spent uh, five, six weeks in the Virginia mountains shooting Tolliver David. Three weeks of rain, sitting home in the hotel, playing pinochle and cards and having a good time. <laughs> Rain and rain and rain and rain. Steady rain for two weeks. <laughs> what a time. <laughs> okay. And uh, <clears throat> then after that, yes, shortly after that, you must have gone to Paramount. You just told about that. Did I mention yeah. about how the medals come to be? The no, tell about that. Huh? 
Now, may I say another interesting episode there? At that time, there were, there were no Oscars given, there were no medals given, there was no mention in giving, except the Thomas Edison Company was the only one that gave little prizes to the cameramen for each month running. There were five cameramen, and there would be maybe ten, ten pictures, and there would be prizes given. So, when I began with uh, this uh, Henry King, I contacted the newspaper men of the film world, of the motion picture world, um, 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 uh, picture magazine, contacted me for a little ad. And I said, all right, I'll take some ad. And I said, say, by the way, you fellas. I said, when I was over at Edison, Edison, we used to get prizes. And went, don't you think it would be a wonderful idea for you magazines, all you magazines, to feature, for instance, you're with the world, the world magazine's prizes for the month or for the year of 19 so-and-so. Oh, he says, that's a good idea. Something worth, talk, worth, something worth talking about it. And what do you, what do you know? Before Tolliver Davis, before our picture with Henry King and Richard Bartleman's of Tolliver Davis was finished and cut and produced, they came out and pronounced that they would give a yearly or monthly statement or medal to the best picture of the year. And I was just happened to be lucky to get the first. That was for a David was the first medal ever given to any film, motion picture firm in the, in, in the entire industry. So uh, you can take it from there. You can make up your own mind what you think about that. That was Photoplay Magazine, no. wasn't it? No. The Photoplay Magazine gold medal. I don't, uh, uh, now may I say that this in regards to Oscars that they give today. I don't wish to knock anything about Oscars, but I do wish to say this. It's the only, uh, uh, I think, a medal, a, a flat, large, bronze medal in a small, a gold medal, a bronze medal, I think, would be sufficient. A, a, a beautiful bronze medal with the profile of some of the stars or actors in it uh, would be far better in, in keeping with taste than these cheap copper-plated Oscars that they're giving today because there are so many of them. When you come into an actor's home, there they are, 50 of them. What does it mean? Nothing. But how beautiful is a bronze medal in a beautiful dark mahogany frame with a background of uh, green, uh, luscious green velvet, and beautifully done by a very good artist, by a high-class artist who gets maybe two or $3,000 for the medal itself. That would be something. That would be something worthwhile for the stars, the big stars, to have in their home. And then if they don't want to hang it up, they can have a, an instrument, cordicomb, large, beautiful print made and keep it in the album. That would be something even better. But uh, um, I am against uh, making these cheap, bronze model, cheap, stiff-looking statues. I think they're awful. They're in our most inartistic thing. None of them are worth looking at. 
Of course, you can't say that, <laughs> but that's my opinion. Mr. Kronjager, I think you worked for Goldwyn at one time, didn't you? Or, or no, only as a, as a, no. Oh, well, then the Purple Highway must have been I nice must have made a picture of that Goldman released or something. Uh, I saw you had the Purple Highway among your credits. Was that made for Paramount, that Madge Kennedy picture? Wasn't that yours? The Purple Highway? The Purple Highway, I don't Remember know. That one? Maybe I'm wrong. <coughs> Here's a picture. Here. Did you see a picture of my brother? Yes. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I am now looking in the part of my album at a very lovely, sharp, beautifully well-lit 8 by 10 photograph of a motion picture taken in the Vitagraph studio with my brother Julius, very well-dressed. And uh, with the director Earl at his side, sitting at the camera, with the Prestovich camera, uh, of which you are a mahogany box. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a picture good to look at, very, very nicely done. And oh, here is a picture of I'm um, looking at an eight by ten picture with uh, Richard Dix in RKO, no, in the Paramount Studios with B.B. Daniels and Alan Crosland and, uh, and uh, Russell, what is his name, first name Russell? William Russell? Uh, no, Ru Russell, the director, Victor Russell. Oh, I, I did several pictures with Morris Dineer, with Sam Rock, a New York million dollar producer. And the picture was called the uh, very wonderfully made picture. Uh, a Desert Healer? No. Uh, haven't I got a picture up here, Ned? Well, we'll find it. What was it like working with Turner? Could you talk about that a little bit, Mr. Kronjager? Who? Turner. Tell us about working with him. <coughs> Wait, is, is he dead now? Yes, he's dead. No, he's living in Turner. Morris down there? Yes. He's still living? He's in his 80s. Mm -hmm. Where is he? He's uh, in Paris. In Paris? Mm-hmm. Now we would let's say about that. What was the name? Let me stop it for a minute. Uh, pirates, uh, uh, pirates make the sea, clothes make the pirate. No. Clothes, uh, clothes, make, clothes make the pirate. Clothes make the pirate. Uh, there was another production that uh, I enjoyed uh, making was uh, a picture called Clothes Make the Pirate with uh, uh, Penny Oil, the comedian in the, in the the Broadway star comedian Oil, in the lead. And I forget the leading lady. Was it and Morris Turner directing. Was it Dorothy Gish? I think it was Dorothy Gish and Leon Errol, wasn't it? Leon Errol, yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What did I say? Yeah, that's all right. He said uh, Leon Errol. Yeah. Dorothy Gish, maybe it was Dorothy Gish. I think so. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, Claude make the pirate. Yeah. In the in this particular scene, the, the interest that I had in it was the wonderful uh, ship which they uh, built. Uh, was that done in the Paramount studio? I don't know. Uh, they they built a wonderful duplicate of the old pirate ship in the studio, and um, also outdoors they built uh, studio sets in Block. Uh, I think it was Block Island where we took the ocean scenes. And uh, uh, Morris down here when I first when I was first introduced to him, <laughs> he looked he put. A, he looked down with a very sad face. He says, well, Mr. Cornier, yeah, it is very nice to meet you, but I hate you know, it is very strange I had in mind. I have a French cameraman. He's here waiting for to go to work with me, and I will see. I uh, would like to have him. I will see what we can do. And, uh, well, anyway, long to cut a long story short, it was just, it was just fun to me. Uh, the next day I heard of, uh, he tried to get uh, his French cameraman instead of having me shoot the picture, which was all right. I said, I don't care. I have other places to go and shoot with. And, uh, <coughs> however, Miss uh, Marion Fairfax was the writer and producer with uh, Sam Rock, who was putting up the money here. Sam Rock is a very big New York million dollar producer. He only puts on large, big shows. And um, and Sam Rock, uh, we had a meeting in the office, and right, the meeting consisted of Sam Rock, Mary Fairfax, and Morris Turnier, and myself. And Sam Rock says, "Well, gentlemen, let's come to an understanding right now before we do the first day's shooting. Mr. Turnier is to direct the picture to the best of his ability, and Henry Kwanzaeger is going to shoot the picture to the best of his ability." <laughs> And uh, I will be putting up a little dope on <laughs> And that was the end of the conversation when Morris Tarnier came over to me and he put his shoulders around, his arms around my shoulders and said, Henry, it's okay, it's okay. And I never felt so wonderful in my life as to have a director come and do that to me after you find that he was lost out in getting his French cameraman. He was hoping... And, but that was right. I said, then I said to Mr. Tony, why not bring him in too? He says, what's the difference? Put another camera on. Put another camera on. Well, no, and that was, uh, no, he will go back to France. Uh, I forget the name. I think I remember his name. I, I could get the name from his son. <clears throat> but that was funny. So we got along. And now I wish to say this about Maurice Tonier, the director. <clears throat> He is without a doubt the finest and most artistic director and fussy to the detail, to the minutest detail, and very artistic and he knows what he's doing and there isn't a shot that you could shoot if you listen to him that would be wrong. He was especially good in creating a deep, uh, uh, culminating uh, dramatic effects which would really touch you, the effect of the lighting. He, I learned quite a few things about him with lighting, quite a few tricks of light and shadows and black shadows and deep highlights. 
and uh, correlating uh, units of uh, semi-highlights intermingling in between and where they should be and how they're placed in the picture. It's just wonderful. And he had that down wonderful. He's, he's a, he considered to be a great artist in regards to that. Uh, I enjoyed uh, very much working with Mr. Turnier. And uh, I even mentioned the fact when he left for Paris, I'd like to come with him. He says, I will send you a ticket. Huh? Well. Right. Okay. Do, now what was it? Yeah. You're, you're talking about Tourneur. Do what? You're talking about what you learned from Turner and all about lights and shadows and so forth. Maybe you'd finish that part. Where did you go? After you worked with Turner, uh, then what happened to you? And then I came to California. After working with Tynir and having a very delightful and very learned experience, I learned quite a lot in lighting from Tynir. He was just full of it. I would light the set, and he would say to me, now you light the set the way you like. And then I would light the set, spend maybe a few, oh, 15 minutes, takes a little time to place the lights. And after I would get all through, and, and uh, with uh, which I thought would be highly artistic for that particular shot, he would move a couple of lights here and put two and three lights out, and he says, "Now look in your camera." And I could see him immediately. He says, "You win, you win." <laughs> he says, "Yeah, something you learn, huh?" <laughs> so he was good. <clears throat> And, uh, of course, I wish to say this now. Uh, today, <coughs> the directors don't get the time to do all that fancy lighting. Today, it's the story and the drama and the action and the diction and the, the characterization of the individual actor. It's, it's, it's who plays the part. And today, I, I will say we have some very wonderful actors today. I think the actors... From the time that I <coughs> started in the motion picture industry 50, 50 years ago, making, uh, I, could, I could maybe say I made one of the first Nickelodeon pictures in New York City. And there were the, the only other ones that I, I know were there were some pictures came from France. The nickel pictures used to come from Paris and France, little cheap pictures. Uh, well, the uh, I I want to say this in reference to the stars today, their acting ability and what they do and produce. They uh, the actors today is a one two hundred percent better actor. The motion pictures made the actor that make them. Now, for instance, I think the motion picture acting today. When you look at a good film made very wonderful with dramatic action, is far better than if you see that same action on a New York stage. You don't get the kick out of it that you do in a, on the television, on the motion picture today. The way they make it today with these close-ups, which you cannot get, which you cannot get, you can't get close-ups 
in New York on the stage, and that's where they fall down. And you uh, produce the same, you take a very good dramatic play, which is playing right now in New York, and produce it on, for television, done by a wonderful company with good actors and highly dramatic, and your television will knock that other picture all to pieces. There's nothing like it. It's an entirely different thing. The, 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 uh, I, what I'm uh, speaking of is a dramatic, a classical, dramatic uh, scenes. I don't mean uh, gangbusters or uh, uh, gangster stories. I don't mean that uh, they have their purpose too, but, uh, uh, or the murder stories. I don't care. I'm really becoming tired of looking at them. We do all look at them. But I, I do like, uh, well, I can't remember mentioning a few. There are, well, what I wish to say is there are some most marvelous and wonderful pictures produced on television, for television today, in, especially in, uh, when the action has gotten over in close-ups, in the movement of the eye and the thought behind the intellect uh, these things today uh, cannot and never will be produced on the, on, the, on the open screen like in New York where you pay $6 or $5 for a seat, which is uh, prohibitive, I think. Uh, and that isn't all, boys, and in in just watch the future coming up, what they're going to do with television. The, the productions are getting better and better all the time. And the only trouble is they won't have enough good stars and good actors to go around. It's very hard, and I wish to say this, it's very hard for a star today to keep in good shape and good health, which is a necessary thing for him to stay on the screen and be good all the time and to be 100% perfect. I can see some of the stars today that they keep themselves in excellent shape, and you can tell on the screen when they're acting, their, their health shows. And uh, by the addition of a... Well, anyway, the race, the entire race is uh, in much better health today. You can almost walk the streets and look at anyone. They're all in excellent, in excellent health. Why? Because due to our many, many new inventions of antibiotics that keep the body in shape and also mainly because of the additional use of the vitamin supplements which is almost used by everyone and which no doubt is all the stars are using to keep up good luck and keep up energy. Uh, Did you make any uh, any pictures with sound, Mr. Conniger? Did you deal? Or did you work? Did you make sound films too? <coughs> Silent films. Did you make any? Uh, no. Did you make any sound films? Yeah, sound. The, uh, the ones I made here for uh, the ones I made in uh, back and broke were silent. Yeah, that was silent. The color but silent. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yes, I made sound pictures, many, many. All the, every every picture I made here in California was sound pictures. The ones I made with Mary Pickford and the ones I made with 
uh, one or two with Sam Rock. I forget what they were. I have to look up in the records. Mm -hmm. And uh, but my, 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 most of my. Plus <coughs> your thumbs up. Wait a minute. Say, do you want? Uh, Uh, well, let me see, what have we got here? Oh, this is my uh, portfolio. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, the portfolio, this is my portfolio. Well, the portfolio is, uh, it's a book, bound, nicely bound with the movie reel in gold plate on the front, and the paper is delicious, lovely paper printed on. Well, this uh, album is full of beautiful photographs, I must say, because they're, they're hanging in most of the stars' rooms the way I gave them out. Here's a scene of a stormy day in Monterey Coast, California. It's a beautiful mountains in the background and the ocean coming in at a 40-mile wind and the, our, our village, which cost sixty to $80,000, the love light is on the shore and right in the foreground, in the immediate foreground, 12 feet away, 20 feet away from me, is a tall, rocky, bent, deep, uh, red and yellow rock, red on the bottom and blue in the middle, and uh, uh, highly uh, violet on top. It's a beautiful shirt. And in this cove right here, where this ocean is, that's where we wrecked the ship. A boat, 30-foot boat, which was uh, used in the scene of the love light where Mary Pickford, and this scene was shot at night. And we were, we were up in this Monterey coast with the Mary Pickford company with 300 people, with two, with 100 people steady in the crew, and 200 extra sent up the day we want to use them for the, for the village. It was the Holland, uh, Holland village. That the play the play takes place in Holland, and here the coast along there for two miles was all little Holland huts and villages, which we later used for. I am now talking or uh, looking at a long shot where the wreck of the ship, Mary Pickford's lover, wrecked her ship, and Mary Pickford herself played the scene, falling overboards in this rough and turbulent ocean with. Six men standing by ready to jump in to save her. But she did jump in <laughs> and, and, and quite made it to shore. And of course, there was a little help aiding her. Um, in, in, that, in which Mary Pickford did jump in, and she had only a short distance of eight feet to go to a turbulent browsing ocean wave, and she made the shore safely. And, uh, and now then, this, this scene, we had some odd 80 sunlights on this scene for a night shot in the fog. It was a gorgeous shot. And why shouldn't be? Why shouldn't my photography be beautiful when you spend so much money to get this shot? Eighty sunlights. Imagine that on a foggy night on a Monterey coast, and Mary Pickford jumping overboard into a broiling ocean. Quite broiling. It was quite a sea, but she was brave. God bless her. She's a wonderful girl.
she had more lots of pets. Now uh, let me see. On this other page, we have uh, <coughs> we have uh, here are some names of signatures which I copied from all the the letterheads which I received and telegrams, of which there are many in my 40 years experience. <coughs> well, let us start with Thomas Edison. Thomas A. Edison, he got a letter there to one of his managers saying, Henry's photography is so thoroughly independable. Uh, that was Thomas Edison. He said that to his, uh, his manager there when he looked at my films. That's not a personal contact. Then, uh, then comes uh, David Belasco. I made uh, still uh, my contact with David Belasco was uh, I was working in New York, photographing uh, flashlights with for David Belasco on his stage, and uh, I think it was 34th Street or some side street in the, in the Belasco Theater. And for for three or four years, I photographed all the flashlights. Of, uh, David Belasco, every time they'd have an opening of a new show, that was once a year. And, uh, and oh, here's one that Mary Pickford made a crack in the projection room. I leaned over to her and I said to her, uh, Miss Pickford, do you like it? And all she said, charming, exquisite, everything. Of course, Charlie Rocha was there too. But I just wanted to get a, a weight in. And then here's E. H. Griffith. That's another director that I don't know whether he's a relative of T.W. But and then comes Jesse Lasky. He says in one of his things, uh, "Master cameraman." Oh, hot dogs! Here's Ada. Here's Ada. Look and look at his signature here. Henry always hits the mark. That's in the letter sent to someone that I uh, am familiar with in the office forces. William Randolph Hearst. Well, he told Mr. Francis, uh, Francis Marion the, uh, in the Cosmopolitan Productions of uh, Marion Davis, the night shots were gorgeous, beautiful. That's William Randolph Hearst. He said that to Francis Marion, and she told me the next day. And um, I want to ask one, Wallace Berry. Great work, Henry. Keep it up. Here's one from Howard Hawks. I'm, uh, I was the second cameraman on that. Very fine work. George E. Falk. He's a production manager. Lionel Barrymore. Superb. B.P. Schulberg. That guy's got imagination. <clears throat> Christy Kavanaugh, Irvin Cummins, Richard Dix. I had to read what Richard Dix says about me. It's too much. It sounds too egotistic. I'm just going to read the names. Richard Bottomus, my best photography ever. That's what Richard Bottomus says. Well, we got the gold medal. That he is. The firm got the medal. The firm has it. Mr. Howard, Mr. Duell. I don't know, maybe Mr. King has it hanging in his office. Go over to King's office and see. He should have one because he deserved it. It was a very fine production. Considered wonderful. All the newspapers shouted about it in New York City for two weeks. Gilbert Rowland, Charlie Brabant, C.B. DeMille Productions. I did some work 
went uh, in the CBO band as a second cameraman. They had spent 40 other cameramen on that. What was it? Uh, and I forget what it was. Uh, Julius Bulletor. He was very good. And Harmon Hagedon. Harmon Hagedon is in Library Congress in Washington. He's a writer that writes for all the... He writes the history of uh, Harmon Hagedon, Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. The Colonel. Now, the Colonel is a William Boyce Thompson. He the, owns the Miami Copper Mine. And he owns the Arboretum, which is in Arizona, near the copper mine. He, that is a that is a, almost as big as a half a state. It's uh, oh a hundred thousand acres, and that's an arboretum. And an arboretum is a place where you propagate and experiment with plants, and you grow them. And he spends a million dollars a year to seek and find seeds which grow best in the Arizona desert so that they may plant the whole of Arizona desert in beautiful uh, trees, flowers, shrubs, and that's what Mr. the Colonel is doing, Colonel, and he owns the Miami copper mine. Now this Colonel says after we, after Mr. Hagedon and I took all the photographs of these uh, arboretum, of these scenic beauty which they had produced in 25 years of planting. The colonel said, the colonel is very much pleased with your choice of locations and your gorgeous photography. It was a real treat to all the company. We ran it three times. And that's something to be, that makes you feel good when you hear that. That's a letter which uh, Mr. Hagedorn gave me. And Mr. Hagenon right now is in the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and he perhaps he's writing The Life of uh, President Eisenhower. I know he's writing. He wrote the book uh, on Theodore, Teddy Roosevelt. He wrote the book The Life of Teddy Roosevelt. That's by Herman Hagedon. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, Well, here's a little uh, uh, remark Adolf Zucker made in the front of the, in the, on the, on the out of side of the production projection room after running some of the uh, uh, back home and book and the productions I made for Paramount Studios. I said, well, Mr. Zucker, that's all I said, well, <laughs> I laughed and he laughed and he he also put his arm on my shoulder and it makes you feel hot when those fellows do that. Doesn't mean anything, but anyway, you get a great kick out of it and you remember it as long as you live. Well, Henry, you never disappointed us yet. Your photography is excellent and always hits the mark. Well, that's pretty good. Oh, I can read this and then you can throw it away. Well, and here's a letter from my, my, uh, here's a, a letter from, uh, from Wendell Fish. And Wendell Fish is uh, a designer and an ex exclusive printer for the elite 
a design, uh, this book was designed and printed in the studio shop of Wendell Fish, the Bendix Building, Los Angeles. So he's, he's not in business anymore now. And here's what he says about uh, <coughs> all my experiences. He knows me for 35 years. With characteristic thoroughness, Henry Quanziger devoted his youth to the study of the photographic science and later combining these basic principles with the artistic and practical <coughs> in association in association with the best practical minds of Germany and America, as the following comments will show. And uh, it says here, I'm a graduate of the Hannover Polytechnicum in the Kunstbau und Gewerbeschule in Hannover, Germany. I was an associate of Dr. Hugo Schweitzer in the New York laboratories in research in the development of photographic chemicals for Germany's largest chemical house, the problem for breaking from Elberfeld. What I did with, with uh, Dr. Hugo Schweitzer in New York, <coughs> They had uh, five carloads of ethanol hydro developer in New York City, and they were, was laying on the wayside, and they couldn't sell it. Nobody would buy it. I don't know what happened. They, they just, uh, there was other developers they thought were just as good as Eastman and so on. Well, anyway, this uh, ethanol hydro developer was a product of the problem fabrication from Elberfeld, a three or four hundred million dollar concern. <coughs> And this Dr. Hugo Schweitzer, he was sent to New York as a representative. And especially, he was looking for someone to be able to demonstrate practically and photographically these chemicals, which were uh, three or four carloads, which would mean a half a million pounds of ethanol hydro developer, which was way late, they were waiting to be sold. So I was the one that opened the package of this developer, and they gave me an office in his, uh, they made, built me a dark room, and all I did was went out and shot movies as well as stills, 8 by 10 stills and 35 millimeter movies. And I used this developer, and I'd, all I'd do for six months, I'd go out during the day and I'd shoot films all over the state of California. Eight by tens as well as movies. Come home in my darkroom, develop them, show them on the screen, make prints, make very wonderful prints on Eastman paper. I must say that because that's the only paper I used. I was always an Eastman man my whole life. However, the DuPont makes some pretty good stuff too. I have a, a lot to say about their firm if you want to know how it's late. And then, <coughs> when I finally succeeded in uh, demonstrating that uh, that this was excellent developer, now the particular thing I found in this, which was the claims in this developer, was that it would outlast in the strength and length of any other developer, which it did. For instance, one pound of this developer would last in age, it would not age as quick as the developer at that particular time. This uh, statement does not hold good to any developers up to date. So this, then uh, we took a hold of it, and I said, now Mr. Schweitzer said, if you can become a, uh, an associate in the corporation, we'll give you a very good job if you want to go and sell that. 
<coughs> so, uh, which I did. And I sold this developer inside of one, two years. I sold the entire three carloads of developer to different concerns. Such things as the, uh, the, the Hearst papers, the, the newspapers, all the newspapers in New York bought it. Because it was good. Because uh, I demonstrated I used to go into these dark rooms and demonstrate this developer. And they claimed, well, yes, it's better. And they'd order large quantities. And I got rid of that. That was my, for two years I was with that association. Then here's an article, a co-worker with Thomas A. Edison in an early sound and color photography. And Mr. Edison would come over to our studio in the box and he would he'd bring over all his contraptions and connections and Edwin S. Porter would connect the sound to the reel and we would monkey around there for weeks and weeks and, until uh, they successfully and also successfully eliminating static from motion picture film of which I hold a patent today. Um, also elected official photographer of the American Museum of Natural History for Donald P. McMillan, explorer to go north into Greenland. Also official motion picture photographer for Canadian Pacific Railway, Montreal, photographing the entire and the normal natural resources of Canada, improvising then with motion picture drama. Oh, here's a little statement I wish to make. Photography is the life of the picture. Motion, the attention, and drama is the interest. This? Well, Mr. Konyaker, I'm getting uh, near the end of my tape. Do you want to sum up a little for us? Go ahead. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, now here, oh, <coughs> uh, you can add this into the other. This right. is a part of, uh, which goes into uh, mentioning all the big shot names. Here is one, William Boyce Thompson. He is the copper mine owner of the mm -hmm. Miami Copper Mines. I did a lot of photography for him, of which he was proud. I should have asked him for a million dollars, but I didn't. I would have gotten it too, because he was very much uh, <laughs> friendly to me. Alan uh, Crossland, Wilfred Beaton, Lewis Stone, Howard Hughes, 20 cameramen on the shot, uh, Hell's Angels, 30 cameramen. I was one poor little tiny, meany cameraman. <laughs> Tony Cardio was the chief for that. Dorothy Gish, exquisite. Joseph Hernick, Joseph Hergesheimer, he was the writer for Henry King's Dollar Uh Lionel Farmer, we have that. Francis Marion, Irvin Cummings, Christy Kavanagh, uh, Gilbert Rowland, Warner Baxter, Charlie Braben, jo uh, Frank Barsaghi, oh, even I was made Buddies, we were very good together. Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Irvin Willard. Oh boy, can I ever forget Irvin? He taught me a whole lot about trick photography. Mr. Irvin Willard, uh, director and producer and cameraman. And he was, Irvin Willard was the first one that 
made successful trick photography and motion pictures, uh, creating uh, a whole battle scene, all in all in trick photography. And I believe, I believe, I can truthfully say that Irving Willard was the first one to introduce the glass shots, which he rather didn't introduce, but they, everybody used to come around and hang around the set and steal the ideas and pass it along to five other studios. In the next week, they'd all have glass shots. We were quite, uh, Irving Willard and I, we were quite successful in making an entire production, almost every shot a glass shot, putting in scenery, in outdoor scenes, shooting the scenes outdoor and putting in other scenes in these outdoor scenes. Quite a thing. Eddie Blackburn. Henry Hertzbrun, I don't know. And Mason, E. Mason Harper, he was the director for William Randolph Hearst for the Mary Pickford, no, uh, for the uh, uh, Marion Davis. Davis Productions. Henry B. Walter, how can I ever forget him? He was lovely, uh, good personality. Here I got D.W. Griffith, I worked with him. Bibi Daniels, wonderful. Marvin Leroy. David Selznick, yes. David Selznick promised me many wonderful, marvelous things, and we never had time to get together. Maybe I ought to go and see him now. I'm 81. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I drink a glass of beer at night. One glass of high, uh, Miller's High Life. Are That's all. <laughs> I used to smoke, but by golly, I had to give it up the last time I saw my doctor and he looked at my throat, he said, you got the smoker's throat and if you keep it up, you'll have cancer. So I gave up smoking. I want to tell all you fellows who are sucking the cigarettes, you better watch your step because I'm not fooling you. Oh, I don't say you can smoke one cigarette a week. But you cannot chain smoke. You're through when you do that. I can mention you ten fellows in the movies who all have cancer. Now please take my advice. I cut out smoking, and I have an awful desire to have a smoke. But what do I do? I uh, drink a glass of cider. Right now, gentlemen, I'm on a high-protein diet. Please send over some steaks. <laughs> Louis B. Mayer, yes. He made the first picture <coughs> for Louis B. Mayer. Samuel, Julius Brulotor, Irvin Willard, Jimmy Cruz, I forgot him, and Jimmy James E. Granger. Oh, yes, I worked with him. He was Granger a, was a big man. James E. Granger was the producer for, he had something to do with uh, uh, making Elan. Oh, my friend Alfred Green, please don't forget <laughs> Alfred Lee Green. <clears throat> I'm getting near the end of my tape. Now, may I say this? May I say this? 
that in all my photographing with all these many intellectual, eccentric, and highly, uh, sometimes very extremely neurotic, very intelligent directors in all my life's experiences. Uh, God know what I was going to say. You have to cut it on me. What was I going to say? Alfred Green. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've never... Uh, now, uh, in conclusion <laughs> of this afternoon's entertainment, I have a man lying on the carpet here, Mr. What? Pratt. Mr. Pratt, who surely is very, very patient. And I hope that the statements which I have made for the benefit of other people uh, is, uh, I hope, and I wish to be excused if there is the slightest bit of... Uh, uh, egotisticness, which uh, most of us have, and um, <clears throat> and in all my experiences, we're working with so many wonderful uh, directors, intelligent men, and I wish to say to the <coughs> the younger generation who are coming into the big limelight, and uh, God help them if they start showing off their swell heads or get, uh, it may be a benefit for them to know that uh, my my experience has been uh, with most of the people that I've worked. So it's to to your own benefit is to be humble. And it's not uh, never to get a swell head like we all do, and we all do today. <coughs> and be subservient and be humble and uh, say yes to the director more times than no. Do as they wish and don't go too much about your own uh, idiosyncrasies or uh, two extremely artistic abilities which don't mean as much to a production as the, as the beautiful dialogue and the characterization of the character, the man who is, and the director who is putting on the picture. Photography plays a big part if it can be gotten without the hindrance of other more important things such as acting or directing in the picture. Photography plays a, a good part and uh, and uh, I uh, to the end of this I wish to I not wish to forget my dear wife Matilda who has been so <coughs> courageously so, who so courageously stuck by me all these years through hell and fire off and up and down way up on top and way down below the next minute <coughs> but uh, that is the uh, the ex uh, pleasure and excitement which you get out of motion picture. I can mention of no field in the entire world or in the history of the world which is more interesting 
to work to be in and work with then the um, then then the situation the the episodes of work and workmanship which is offered to you by the motion picture industry in the manufacture of the daily routine of work in the production of motion pictures while on the set there's nothing more makes you feel more wonderful it, it's just uplifting it lifts you right up and you uh, and all the people which are working in studios they have all they can do not to get a swell head which most of them do and I many times many times have I lost out because uh, too self-related uh, too insistent on situations of lighting it's just no good it is often good and uh, working with some producers it is really only way to say yes Yes, Mr. Goldstone, yes, Mr. Cohen, or yes, Mr. Yestem, and you'll keep your job. And smile and do what they tell you. No, all you, your photography may not be as good as, not be as good, but you, you will keep your job and you work all the time. I want to thank you for having your patience to do all this and uh, whatever it sounds egotistic, I hope you cut it out. <laughs> <coughs> all right, sir. Oh, uh, is there some more there? A little bit, yeah. Really? yeah. Is it on? Yeah, it's still on. I wish to hear with uh, thank the motion picture industry, all producers, all directors, and all the people that I work with for having given me such a glorious and wonderful time. <laughs> I feel just wonderful. <laughs> it's great to be alive. Well, good. <laughs>